The Playful Psychologist podcast is hosted by me, Emily Hanlon, a clinical psychologist who primarily works with children and adolescents. This podcast has been designed to offer support to new psychologists who may feel as though they are drowning in uncertainty. It has also been designed to inform and educate parents and teachers on all things child development. Along with some special guests, I explore different aspects of child development, including developmental disorders and emotional regulation, while also advocating for those who may be falling through the cracks in our current system. Hey guys, and welcome to this week's episode of The Playful Psychologist. This isn't going to be a very long one today, but it is something that I think is really, really important. So today I want to discuss with you, um, you know, the question that comes up a lot, how long should kids be in therapy um, and that sort of thing. So I am part of quite a few Facebook groups that, you know, are psychology related um, and that sort of thing. And quite often the same questions come up. And, and one lady actually posted saying she's she thinks that as a profession, we are keeping people in therapy too long and it's unfair to clients who are on wait lists. Now, while I totally understand that there is a definite shortage of psychologists in Australia, um, you know, especially post-COVID and post-pandemic, I do think that that statement was a little bit unfair in itself. I think that we have this perception that, um, you know, after 10 sessions, we should be getting our clients out the door and that should be it and that's the end of therapy and they need to move on and for so many clients that is just not the case we are so influenced by this um, you know 10 session medicare scheme and that's just not realistic realistic for a lot of my clients for example some of my clients take 10 sessions just to feel comfortable enough to discuss their anxiety with me and I know I, I do work with a, you know, complex um, population of clients, but how can I, you know, wrap things up in 10 sessions if it takes me eight and a half sessions to establish really, really good rapport? I often say that when it comes to rapport building, it's like building the foundation of a house. You just cannot rush it because if you rush rapport, the house is going to be flimsy. And it's the same with therapy. If you rush if you rush therapy and you rush that foundation of therapy, it's never going to be effective in the long term. So I'm really passionate about not sticking to this like 10 session Medicare thing. Are there times where 10 sessions will be more than enough? Yes. But are there a lot of times where that system or that scheme won't work? Also, yes. Because therapy is not a quick fix. It takes time and you need to lay those foundations. I also think it's as a psychologist, I'm actually quite proud of the fact that I can support my clients long term. You know, for me in particular, I see a lot of clients with developmental diagnoses such as autism and autism is a chronic condition. It's not something that disappears, especially after 10 sessions. It's a lifelong diagnosis. So it makes sense that I will be seeing clients for longer periods of time. And as long as goals are relevant and progress is being made, who's to say that a client shouldn't continue to engage? And I am very passionate about that because I totally understand the argument that it does take a spot away from someone else. But how do you value one client over another? You, you, you just don't. If a client still needs to engage in therapy and a client is making progress and reaching goals and creating new goals to work towards, they deserve that spot just as much as the next person. So the argument of like, oh, well, if someone stays in therapy too long, it's taking away from someone else. Well, and vice versa. If you get rid of someone just to let someone else in, you're not doing justice to your existing client. So I think that's really, really important. Also, 
who made the rapport building rule that it should just happen in one session? Like, obviously, that person never worked with kids, never worked with kids on the autism spectrum. It's just totally impossible. Do you guys feel totally comfortable with anyone after sitting in a clinic room with them for 45 minutes and talking about all your deepest problems or hearing your mum talk about everything that's going on with you? No, you don't. So whoever made that rule is just a little bit naive, in my opinion, Um, because it's individual. Yes, okay, maybe a client will only need one session, but you need to do what's best for your client. And sometimes that means five to 10 sessions of rapport building. In some cases, you have a client, you know, that has come to you after they've already seen five other psychologists, they're over it. And you need to work with them to give them a chance to get to know you and see how you are different and see what's different between you versus the other psychologists. And that quite frankly, is just not going to happen in one session. Also, a lot of clients, um, you know, teenagers, for example, present and they don't want to be there. Their parents have insisted that they come and it takes a lot of work to undo that and to get to the core issues and get the client to trust you. So again, that is not going to happen overnight. Also, I think this is really important and it's something that I discuss in my rapport building guide, but you cannot discount um, the amount of information that you can learn from rapport building. It is so, so valuable. And especially me, um, you know, with COVID, I haven't been able to go to schools and stuff for observations. I do a lot of my observations in my rapport building sessions. Please don't feel like if you're just playing games with a client, for example, that you're wasting time because you are learning so much in that time. In that time of rapport building, you are seeing um, a child's reciprocal conversation skills. You're seeing their attachment style and how they're best able to, you know, leave the parent and come into the room alone. You're able to see how they transition between tasks. You're able to get a glimpse into their social skills and their ability to win and lose gracefully. You're able to see where their interests may lie and you're able to see their level of maybe hyperactivity, their level of distractibility, whether they struggle with final gross motor skills, if you're drawing on the board or chucking a ball around, there is so much you can learn from rapport building. So please don't discount it. I think a lot of new psychologists get a little bit nervous that parents may say something like, you know, I'm paying you all this money and all you guys seem to be doing is playing games. If that comes up, have a really frank conversation with the parents and let them know. A couple of times that's happened to me where parents will raise a concern like that. But when a parent raises a concern like that, it's more so that they're asking for information. They want to know what you're doing and why you're doing it. So just give them that information. Be really upfront about it. The more honest and open you are, the less likely the less got a bit tongue-tied the less likely it is that parents are going to have these concerns because they're going to trust your process so anyways that was a really really quick episode but I just wanted to jump on because I think that's a really really important thing and it's something that I'm just seeing creep up a lot we cannot stick to this 10 session mentality especially when you work with kids who have a chronic diagnosis so I hope that was helpful if you have any questions please dm me at the playful psychologist or email me which is the playful psychologist at gmail.com I hope you guys have a great week and I will chat to you guys soon see you later